This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 204. This episode is brought to you by Improve Photography Plus. This is Improve Photography's subscription site with a one-week free trial where you can get everything that Improve Photography produces all for $19.95 a month. I'm in there all the time commenting on uh, in the community. We have hundreds of Lightroom presets and video trainings and uh, downloadables and all kinds of stuff in there. So check it out at improvephotographyplus.com when you're ready to take your photography to the next level. Well, today I'm joined by Connor Hibbs and Jeff Harmon, and we have a lot to talk about, uh, including some updates to Lightroom. Hey, guys. Hey. Well, uh, Lightroom, uh, Adobe announced today Lightroom 2015 Point eight. Um, there, there are almost two years in the past now, still on Lightroom 2015. Uh, but they, uh, in addition to some bug fixes that are, that are always coming, they've also included a new feature called Reference Photo. Jeff, can you kind of tell us about what this is doing for us? Yeah, sure. So the idea here is that they're, they thought that photographers needed the option to identify a specific folder somewhere in their catalog in Lightroom as a reference photo, one that you want to kind of replicate, maybe emulate the colors, whatever it is, and then go to any other place in your catalog and have that photo be on the left-hand side of the screen while you're doing your edits on the right-hand side of the screen. So you could make sure your white balance is looking the same. Maybe it's not from the same shoot, so you can't just copy the white balance settings from the one to the other. You want to get them right visually or some some sort of... uh, focal length thing where you want to make sure maybe people are the same size, whatever, whatever reason you might have for it, then you can go identify one photo. You, the, the way you do it is you go in the develop module, you right click on a photo and you say, make reference photo. Yeah. So this there's, when you go into the develop module now uh, at the bottom left where you're usually clicking full screen and stuff like that, uh, there's a little RA reference and reference and active. So you click right. that RA and then you'll get this split screen Uh, So you can select them. Yep. So then you can try to make your photo on the right look like the one on the left. You have some reference points to look at. So whatever photo you have selected is going to appear on the right. And Mm -hmm. then the one on the left, you're going to click and drag anything from your catalog into that spot. Right. So I don't know. (laughs) To me, I looked at this and I was like, uh, moderately useful is what I would call this. Uh, I could see myself using it, um, you know, when I'm working on a composite and you want to make sure things are looking right, like you kind of want to process both photos separately and then, you know, make it look similar before you actually take them into Photoshop Um, or... You know, for a wedding, if you were shooting on auto white balance and you want to kind of check multiple where the where things have changed in the lighting. Um, but I, I think this is the type of feature that I'm going to need like three or four times a year. And I'm going to forget that it exists when it's there because I would use it so little. How about you guys? Is this something that you're planning to add to your workflow? Absolutely not. I... <laughs> I could maybe see myself using this once in a blue moon um, if I'm going to be compositing things together, like you said. But otherwise, I I don't need to use reference photos that often. I can see how some people would find this really useful. But at least for my kind of workflow, I'm really not that concerned. I usually process stuff pretty neutral and 
I mean, I'll use presets as a basis for things. And as I build something up, I will create a new preset for that thing that I've built up. So I don't really see myself needing this, even if I'm doing two separate shoots and wanting to match them together. I'll usually have those settings connected together well enough that I can get back to a similar look. What about you, Jeff? I don't understand what they're doing. So there's features in the Adobe forums, which I'm in constantly. I love going through there and trying to see uh, be understand if there's problems so that mainly for myself, so I can avoid them if there are, but um, there's ways to suggest features too. recommend features be added. I have never seen this requested in the forums at all, not once. So where are they coming from on this? There are feature requests in there. I have one in there that I'd love to have the coal module created. So they can stop the bleeding with uh, other, other utilities like photo mechanic to help with the culling. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, if it's there, I may at some point say, oh, well, that's actually, I need it right now, and that's perfect. But I haven't really, like, if I could remember the last time I was looking at one photo, and then I kept going back to look at another one just to see how they compared, that would be the use case for this, and I don't remember the last time I needed to do that. So surely with this being a new update, there's something else that they've released with this seeing as how it's almost 2017 now. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the concern for me, Connor, is when you see Lightroom giving these dot releases, this, you know, this 0.8 with just a little feature and some bug fixes here, uh, because they're adding a new feature, it tells me that Lightroom 2017 is not imminent. Uh, otherwise, they would save this up for the big, you know, Lightroom 2017 release, which uh, kind of has me wondering right now if we're going to be waiting until Lightroom 2018 before we see uh, <laughs> a major release. So uh, it, to me, that's concerning. And there's supposed to be performance improvements. They say that every single time. Yeah. I'll be testing it in the next couple of weeks to see, but I'm kind of doubting that there's much there. Even if there is something, it's probably pretty nominal. From or it doesn't my, work. They broke something in doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't mind if they wait until the middle of 2017 or maybe even September of 2017, as long as they stop calling it Lightroom and then the year name and call it maybe Lightroom Fast and they've done enough work on it that it is actually fast after that. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm with it. <laughs> I'm with it. Uh, Thomas Joseph is asking on on Facebook Live um, if anybody is considering Capture One uh, version 10. Uh, for me, I tried out Capture One. Um, I think a lot of of the benefits of Capture One. Uh, I, I mean, it's faster. It's faster than Lightroom. Uh, I didn't love the way the develop module works in general. There were a lot of features that just had uh, broken up really something that you can do in Lightroom and they're calling it four different other things, uh, which I, I like the simplicity of Lightroom. And so I think that's one one thing that's hurting hurting Capture One. Uh, for I did love in the develop module or their, their version of the develop module and in Capture One. I love the three-way color corrector. Uh, the color correction is very much like how Adobe Premiere works uh, for color correcting video. And that was a big, big plus to me. Um, and so uh, there are some things to like about ca about Capture One for sure. It's definitely a big learning curve. And also, I mean, I got years and years and years of photos in Lightroom. It's not like, you know, moving from, from a 
competitor to Photoshop where you're just editing a photo. It's your whole it's your whole catalog, and there's no yeah, way the I'm gonna lose all of those edits. I think yep. you know all of us, and I would think most of the people listening to this have been using Lightroom for years, and so moving is is not a, an easy thing to do. You're gonna lose data. You know, earlier this year, I was feeling a little bit crazy and I had enough money that I could buy the newest version of Capture One. So I was all gung-ho. I was ready to switch because I was just getting really frustrated with Lightroom's tether features as I've been trying to do more and more product photography. And I downloaded the the trial version of it and I used it and I, I almost had a panic attack because one great feature about it is that it's super customizable and that's great because you can kind of move features around as you want it but that means it's all the harder to learn a new piece of software when not everybody's videos of tutorials and training are the same because they've gone and customized everything yep. in a way that is hard to follow um, and not all of their icons like just some of the UI features on it it's not quite as easy to understand one thing that Lightroom definitely has going for it is that it's easy to understand the workflow of processing a photo when you move through the develop module it, it's all kind of laid out in a way that is logical and I would do this and then I'd go down and process with the color tone after doing exposure and and I really like that and I know that I could set up Capture One to operate in that way. I know that Sandy DeRoe uses Capture One and yeah, she really she likes it. it. It was her word that kind of got me into, yeah, I'm going to do this and then after messing around with it for a couple of days, a week, I, I just got so discouraged and I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going to spend the 15 bucks a month and or $300, especially with the, the subscription model, because one way or the other, I need Photoshop. And if I'm paying for Photoshop, I'm getting Lightroom anyway. Yeah. The other, so, the other difference between Sandy and you is you, you're, you're doing very different types of photography. She's doing commercial photography and stuff where, um, uh, you know, she's doing a shoot of furniture and it's not like she loves that couch and she's going to want to go find that couch six years from now. Uh, whereas yeah. a portrait photographer, um, is, you know, very frequently going to want to go back to old photos of clients and stuff. And so it, it kind of makes i think more sense for somebody in sandy's situation than it does for you too connor yeah absolutely and and i mean one of the reasons that i was looking at it, it was because of the tether feature um, because i really am interested in moving a little bit more into a commercial world along with doing portraiture um but you're right be, between doing portraiture and commercial photography it just doesn't make sense for my kind of workflow to have that and I've decided I was just going to deal with the less than ideal tether capabilities. Of Lightroom. <laughs> Lightroom. Very cool. Well, Jeff Harmon, you have been testing out the Monoprice graphics tablet, um, and I'm anxious to hear how this goes. So those of you who don't know who, what this is, this is basically, it, it's a competitor to the Wacom tablet. Uh, and it costs what, like one Seven, one sixth one sixth the price uh, <laughs> yeah. it's about 40 bucks and the wacom's gonna run you around 300 uh, so that's a major difference in price i tried a monoprice tablet several years ago and there's a video you could probably still find on youtube of me shooting that tablet with a shotgun because it drove <laughs> me crazy it costs more money people got mad at me for wasting technology uh on that video but i said it it literally was going to cost me more money to ship it back to mono price than it was to just blow it up um anyway it, it didn't work for well for me because they didn't have the drivers right 
And I was not the only one, only person that that uh, ran into that problem. But that was four years ago. So question for you today is, is the Monoprice tablet a good decision today? Have they fixed all the problems and can it really compete with Wacom? What do you think? What, what I can't do yet is compare it to Wacom. That's going to happen in a few weeks. I, I want to get some time with both tablets. I want to have lots of shoots going through it and see how they compare so that I can uh, I can give them a really good try, both of them. And so, so far, now one of the things I did right off the bat was I did not even install the drivers that came with it <laughs> on the CD that came with it. Um, I was tipped off early to, it works much better if you go get it from the actual manufacturer whose name is Hurion and get their drivers. So that's why I started right off the bat with that. And it's worked flawlessly. I haven't had any trouble with it at, at all. It follows just perfectly uh, and does, does it a compete really with job. a mouse? Like, do you think you're going to be a convert here? So not fully yet. There's still some, like the thing where I, it's not as good so far is on a slider. If I'm going to move the slider, I can move it fine. But then when I lift the pen to try to say I'm done moving the slider, the slider moves just a little bit away from where I was at. As I lifted <laughs> up. It irritates the heck out of me. Like that is not, I mean, it's, it may only be one point difference, but that is still moved. So, so you know, stay, I, I might actually have a slider, recommendation stay. for that. I'm, instead of using the pen for moving the slider, what I tend to do is I'll hover with the pen over the slider and then use my arrow keys to adjust. Sure. So yeah, that, and I'm getting I, better at that, at switching like the keyboard with the mouse and, and how I'm doing it. So, you know, that's a, a fair point too, that I've never used a tablet before. So I have to overcome that too. I have to figure out how to incorporate it into my workflows and how to use it. It is awesome for dodge and burn, of course. It's beautiful for that. And it's awesome for um, the quick selections. I've been doing a ton of move of uh extracting the athletes out of a photo from the background so that I can use them to create game day photos and um, for quick selection and then select and mask, which would be a whole separate podcast that select and mask <laughs> to workspace that they've created in Photoshop. They made things much worse there, but uh, I, I figured out how to make it usable now and having the pen really actually helped there a lot. I really enjoyed that. I'm finding that my, my hand doesn't hurt as much when I did a lot of that compositing work or extracting people from the background, just getting down into the details where select and mask wasn't working right and I had to do it myself, trying to get the movements of the mouse to be as precise as that was really hard on my wrist. It took a lot of muscle strength to do that. And an hour into that or so, I was like, wow, this really hurts. <laughs> Take a break. And with the pen, it's not that way anymore. It's just, it's really nice for that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a total convert. I'm still, I still have my mouse sitting right here, plugged in. I can still use it. And there's still some things that are way faster to do with the mouse, but, but it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't use my trackpad on my laptop still. Right. But for, I mean, especially doing more fine detail stuff, like I, I'll paint in different masks and whatnot. Um, I can think of an example recently where I shot something on a black background and I was trying to extract it. And no matter what I was doing, it, it was kind of a dark product. So I couldn't quite get everything out, all of the black background out. So I had to go through and trace around it. And I considered using a pen tool because it had some straighter, harder edges to it. But there were some areas where there was 
a little bit of feathering that I wanted. And so I actually went in with my Wacom tablet using just a paintbrush and I was able to brush in that finer detail, which is something that I just wouldn't have been able yeah, to do. Yeah, you can't do that with the mouse. Not, not even close. The yeah. way, that's Having really that cool. Fine motor control is really yeah. nice. Yeah, it's beautiful for that. And the the monoprice one is working flawlessly. I haven't had any it's not, there's no crashing of drivers. There's it's working great. That's awesome. We'll see if Wacom wows me. <laughs> We'll six see. times the cost, it better. Well, cool. We'll I, I'm interested other. to see how it goes. For me, the Wacom tablet just doesn't... I mean, I'm right-handed, and I have two keyboards, two <laughs> two mice, two computer mics, and two mixers on my side. And so my <laughs> left hand is... The left hand of my desk is just completely empty. And the right side... I have to have two computers here because one runs the video system for these podcasts, two mixers to run one for the video system and one for the audio podcast. Um, and so there's there's just no room to put one on the desk in addition to the mouse. I, I could never get used to the Wacom just taking over as a mouse. I, I like having a mouse just for doing stuff on the computer. But boy, when you're doing stuff in Photoshop, you know, like you said, dodging and burning, anytime you're using any kind of brush in Photoshop or Lightroom, Oh man, it's really nice because if you you know you don't have to keep going up and changing your opacity and stuff. You yeah, just right. don't touch as hard. Just just go right. lighter and and you do the job. Uh, it's really really nice for that. But I I don't know. It just never found a way into workflow. But it's been a couple of years. I would like to give it another try. And maybe this if this forty dollar one is as good as the Wacom, uh, maybe that's going to be an easier sell for me. Well, I've got to imagine there's something to the reason why the Wacom's more expensive. So hopefully in doing this experiment, and I'm glad I started with the Monoprice one first, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So everyone just stay tuned. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it's not just name brand recognition. <laughs> it could be. The price, which it's entirely possible that yeah. that's why. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, well, today I wanted to make just a quick mention uh, of a website. It's called photologo.co. Um, you have probably seen them advertising on Facebook. Um, a lot of people have been writing about uh, their service. Um, basically, what they are doing for you is they're just making a cool signature for you uh, that you can apply to your photos. Well, uh, I saw this and I immediately thought, sign me up because my my uh, signature is not that great looking. Um, and so I thought I wanted a cool logo. I thought they looked interesting. And so I thought, all right, you know, maybe maybe this is something that I will do. Well, I went on to their website. Uh, they said they were doing this this big sale uh, that ends in 24 hours. Uh, turns out that sale has lasted for a long time. Not really 24 <laughs> hours. Um, and then I, I, was, I filled in all my information. I was ready to click buy. And then I looked at their terms and, and conditions. And so I thought, yeah, I better check. I better check to see what the, the terms and conditions are for this thing. Um, and it, I'm extremely uh, unhappy with it. I sent them an email uh, to get some clarification uh, because th the contract read to me um, uh, that they just downloaded a free kind of licensing terms contract and they just tried to kind of plug in their information. Uh, I would be extremely surprised if this was written by an attorney uh, or customized for them by an attorney. Um, uh, 
and basically uh, what what they're what they're not giving you is the ability to use your own logo uh so if i'm if i'm using this it's called photologo.co they're giving me a photo logo to use on my photography um if I'm doing that, it's going to be my trademark, right? Like this is going to be my business. I'm using this to advertise my business now, uh, except no, you don't get your own trademark. They're going to own the trademark for your business and what? they're going to give you a license uh, to use that trademark. Oh, but so limited how in the way that they're going to allow you to use that trademark. Uh, they had a limit of how many social media followers you can have um, wow. in order to still u- still use that your trademark. Uh, so that then you're going what, to pay more licensing at that point if you go well, above the limit? And that's the confusing part. When you go to the checkout on this uh, and you look at those terms and conditions, they say, well, we have this limited license or the commercial license. And they never actually say which one you're buying. Uh, what? It's 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 really bad. Uh, it uh, is t- t- taking the trademark from a photographer and uh, and making you pay to get that that trademark that logo, um, and then they're giving you an extremely limited license that's not even clear what license they are giving you. Um, when you purchase and again i emailed them uh many days ago and have not heard word one uh in response from them uh which is surprising because i you know it said i'm from improved photography and we have over a million followers on social media i i wanted to recommend them because it looks awesome um but uh they didn't even see fit to respond to that which says something further about this company uh so anyway i guess i really wanted to just sound a a voice of warning on this uh when you see that facebook ad come out for photologo.co i would recommend do not buy uh until they get these terms and conditions uh fixed especially because this is the logo for your company this is your trademark Uh, so i just wanted to encourage everybody do not buy until we can get them on the podcast here and they can fix this problem and stuff and then it looks like a cool service but they just got to fix it thoughts that sounds terrible i wouldn't use that because there are plenty of other services that can do logo design that are relatively inexpensive i mean you can find designers that for the most part, if you're just looking for something simple, they can put something together for you relatively cheaply and do it custom with you and work with you and change things as you see fit. So I I couldn't see a reason to do this, especially if you're not going to own the rights to it. And maybe I would just did not do it well with a signature thing. First of all, it's not, it's not Jeff Harmon, it's Jeff and Susie Harmon photography. So that's a little different for me, but uh, I tried the signature and yeah, I don't like that. I just like the plain typed out text and I've, I've fancied it up a lot in Photoshop, but that's what I'm using everywhere for my watermarking. And I prefer it. You can read it. You can see like the site to go to for, for getting the photo. Yeah. And, and to be clear, it's extremely normal, uh, in this kind of situation for them to, uh, you know, give you the license to use the work product, the product that they're creating for you. That's normal. Uh, that's how photographers do it, right? We take the pictures and we give someone a license to use that. The problem is, is not that the problem is that this is a trademark. It's not like a photographer just giving you a photo and and a license to print it. This is your trademark, so you better own the darn thing. Um, And the other problem with it uh, is that it's not even clear what they're giving you, um, whether you're getting the commercial license or the limited license. And if it's the limited, 
Yikes! Uh, I mean, it's uh, way too limiting. So I uh, just wanted to sound the voice of warning. I recommend do not use photologo.co until we get some uh, some clarification there. All right. We have lots more to talk about on this episode of the podcast. Connor, you wanted to, t- to talk a little bit about taking some challenges in your photography. Yeah. Um, so something I wanted to talk about is just the fact that despite the fact that I've been shooting for the better half of a decade, um, I still will occasionally run into challenges. So recently I had a situation in which I was photographing somebody's proposal, like as they were proposing. And it was in an incredibly dark room. Um, so we're talking, I was shooting on my Canon 5D Mark II and I had the ISO maxed out. I was shooting with a Sigma 50 millimeter 1.4 at its maximum aperture. And I was still only able to get a shutter speed about 1 60th of a second. So we're talking about super grainy photos that also have motion blur to get a slightly underexposed photo. Oh yeah, no um, problem. <laughs> yeah, so so not the best situation. On top of that, the guy didn't want me to be visible in the room until the actual moment that he was proposing. So the, the whole thing was he was going to bring his soon-to-be fiance into the room, and there was music playing and candles, and they were going to dance for a couple of songs, and then he was going to propose to her. Um, and apparently she had no idea. So he, he didn't want anything tipping it off, like having a photographer just randomly standing there in this big empty room taking photos of them dancing. So what I did is I hid in a little back like service area and I had my phone wirelessly tethered to my Canon 6D, which was on a tripod in a dark corner. (laughs) I could see roughly what was going on and I was watching and kind of occasionally shooting some pictures from the live view mode. And I had this moment in which I was watching them and I took a couple of pictures of them dancing and it has a little bit of lag time where it freezes between taking the photo and jumping back into live view. And it jumped into live view and suddenly the guy was just gone and I didn't know what happened. And then I looked at it a little bit closer and realized this guy's wearing a black shirt and he's standing in front of a black doorway and he's down on one knee proposing. So I quickly jumped out and I turned around the corner and I got maybe one or two frames before she was down kissing him and pulling him up and they walked out of the room and left. So thankfully I had taken a shot from my 6D of him proposing, but I didn't even get a super great shot from the 5D after I popped out around the corner. Um, I got a couple of things. He was happy. He wasn't expecting too much. It wasn't supposed to be super artistic, but it was a serious challenge for me. And I wanted to talk to you guys and see if you had, within the last year or so, a situation like this where you had some serious issues getting the shot you were trying to get. Yeah, you know, I the one that is leaping out to me in my mind right now is a shoot that I did in Iceland this year. Um, where it was just so incredibly dark uh, that I, I, it was just tough to be able to get any kind of shot. And, you know, I've been in so many situations like this where it's like dark, eh, no big deal, you know, use a longer exposure or something. Uh, but this was just so black that even <laughs> at, at a 30 second exposure, uh, it, it was just hard to get anything. And there was a person in the frame and and uh, anything longer than 30 seconds and the person just kind of became a oh, yeah. just blur Mush. of everything. Uh, <laughs> and it was just it was we had a killer setup and everything. And uh, I've, I've taken this into Photoshop a few times trying to resurrect it and 
it's just too noisy. It was just too dark to even pull off the shot. So, so were you able to work through the situation and get the shot or was it something that you just ended up having to give up on? Uh, that there was a gym fail. It just didn't work. <laughs> if I have Jeff fails, I think at least once a week. So <laughs> either uh, going out to a landscape where like the sunrise looks like it's going to shape up to be awesome. And then it's a complete dud. Or um, I read, since I'm still using my 70 Mark II and I still, I don't have really any high end glass yet. It's getting there. I, I have a couple of lenses that I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with like a Tamron 24 to 70 has been really, really nice, but uh, I still run up against the limits of my gear constantly. And I, uh, I compensate for it a lot with post processing <laughs> and taking a ton of shots and trying to see what I can do with them on the computer afterwards, uh, see if there's some Photoshop magic that can be done. So it, it happens routinely. And all, I have tons of sessions where I looked and I was like, yeah, I got nothing. That was a fail. See, and like, I, I understand coming away from things and going like, ah, I wish that this was a little bit better or I'm going to have to cheat this a little bit. But man, it's it's been a while since I've had a situation where I was just like, I, I literally can't think of a way that I could do a better job than this mediocre shot. Like I had time to sit there and plan it out. I had about 30 minutes before they came in the room from when I started setting up and I just couldn't find a way to make it work any better than what it did. And I mean, as I said, luckily it was good enough for what the guy was looking for, but man, it's an interesting experience to be back in that where you're having issues where there's just nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Yeah, I know so, exactly what you mean. And they they come up and uh, you just have to kind of learn to work through them. But, you know, when I saw this question in the in the show notes, Connor, my first thought was, uh, I don't think I've had enough shoots this year where I had gym fails and, and real challenges like that. And what I mean by that is I don't know if I challenged myself enough this year. As I look through my portfolio uh, for this year, uh, you know, there's an incremental improvement. There are things that I like better than my portfolio from last year, um, but it wasn't different enough. It, it, you know, I feel like I'm doing, I'm spending too much time just chasing the next nice photo, right? You know, this was a nice sunrise. Hopefully tomorrow's is more nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just, you know, composition's a little bit better, uh, but it's not the... It's not the shoot itself that's so very different. And so that's what I'm really wanting to nail in 2017 uh, is doing things very different. Uh, I want to go storm chasing. I want to get scuba certified and do an underwater shoot. I want to do lots of things to really push what I'm capable of. And so I hope I have a lot more fails in 2017. So you're going to go fry your Fuji X-T2 now, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should never bring among, cameras near water. I am along terrible same lines, my, my photo taco this next week when it comes out on Tuesday is going to be about top tens and why it is that could be like one of the best things you can do to help improve year over year. And you can identify like I'm doing the same thing for the last three years in a row. There's not any difference and I need to compare them. So anyway, just a, a quick plug there for the this next photo taco episode. I'll, I talk about exactly how I go through the process in Lightroom too, using collections to do it, make it easy. 
Very cool. That's awesome. Well, we want to take a minute and thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Blurb. That's Blurb.com. I love saying that to, <laughs> to start with. Uh, I've used Blurb before. They're a great maker of photo books. Uh, they have a convenient mobile app as, as well as the web app. Uh, free design kit to be able to design your book and make it look great with great templates uh, or to make it yourself and customize it um, at Blurb.com and the Blurb app. App. Uh, Connor, I know you use Blurb regularly. What's your use case for it? Um, I use it a lot whenever I shoot weddings or just anything where I can sell an album. So even some family shoots that I'll do on occasion, I'll put together into a little Blurb book. The nice thing is that they're relatively cheap um, for being a very high quality book. Um, I actually work in a commercial print shop myself and we do our own binding and everything. And yet we don't put out books that are of this kind of quality. So it's something that I'm a bit of a print snob and I still love their stuff. One thing that I always tell people when they're considering using Blurb is to try using the ProLine Pearl paper. It's one of their upgraded options um, for paper, but it's it's just really nice. It, it has kind of a pearlescent shine to it that really brings out the saturation and depth of photos. Um, so that that's something that I would say is definitely worth checking out. I, I use it on a regular basis, probably at least once a month, if not every other month um, when I'm a bit slower, but it's, it's something that I definitely enjoy and it's not just because they're a sponsor. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, when you're ready to check out Blurb, go to blurb.com slash improve and enter offer code improve and that'll get you 25% off. And it is not too late uh, to get your Blurb book uh, for the holidays to get your custom uh, gift. Actually, this would be a great idea. I'll say this quietly so my wife doesn't hear. This would be a great idea to use for my wife. She always <laughs> likes things like that. All right. Well, really cool. Well, we just have a couple more topics uh, to, ta- uh, to talk through today. Um, first, I want to talk a little bit about drones. I know neither of you guys have gotten into the drone world just yet, but I will conv- I will convert you. Don't just give me enough time. <laughs> All um, it takes is like uh, inheritance or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just a simple <laughs> inheritance to do it. Huh? <laughs> well, you know, a friend of mine just, uh, well, actually his wife called me this week um, and she said that she got her husband a drone, the DJI Phantom 3 standard, which I paid more than a thousand bucks for less than a year ago, uh, was on sale on Black Friday for $3.99. What? $3.99. I paid more than a thousand bucks for it less than a year ago. That's uh, always how it's going to go with this stuff. That though. is, I so guess fast. it is. Uh, if I had known that, I might have actually gotten into drones. Man, that's that's a killer deal. Three hundred ninety nine dollars. Uh, you know, you know, the Phantom Four is out, um, but I would probably say the fan has the Phantom Three better than the Mavic. I don't know, but it's close. Um, uh, and it you know, three ninety nine. That was a killer deal. I I would imagine a lot of people listening to the podcast picked that up because I saw Walmart had the deal, um, Best Buy had the deal, Target had the deal. A lot of the major stores were doing that three ninety nine for the DJI Phantom three. Um, anyway, uh, so a lot of people are getting into drones right now, and so. Um, Bo Drinkard uh, asked on Facebook uh, for a recap of the latest FAA rules and regulations for new drone owners, since I know there are many of you uh, after Black Friday and Christmas time. Um, uh, He said, I know a lot of folks, including myself, are expecting one for Christmas um, and are wondering what is required. Uh, Should I do the 
FAA 333 exemption or 107 or whatever? Do I have to get give notice to airports, etc.? Uh, all right, so I just wanted to give a very quick uh, recap. There's obviously tons more you should go um, and read on the FAA website, but this is it. Just in a couple sentences, if you're just getting started in drone, this is what you need to know in the United States: um, is if you're using it for personal use. When you pull the drone out of the package, you're going to need to go register the drone. Anything over, uh, I can't remember, is it half a pound? I think it's anything over a half a pound that you have to, uh, uh, somebody's going to correct me in the chat, I'm sure. Uh, anything mm-hmm. over half a pound, you have to register. Um, and so you go do the registration, very simple. Uh, it's free to just register that drone, that it has its unique number, and it's registered to you. So that when somebody finds uh, that it, murdered three people when you crashed it in a concert the faa knows who to go for i think that's really what this is about um (laughs) so we gotta we gotta register that drone um and then the next piece is are you going to use this personally or commercially any commercial use the faa has been pretty strict on this any commercial use even showing it on a page that's ad supported where you're making money from the ads um is going to be commercial use um and so you need to do the faa 107 the part 107 test you just go to the to the faa website and they'll walk you through it you go sign up for the test you'll have to go somewhere in your city there will be lots of of testing places that you can go do it Uh, you go take the test um for me i spent about two hours cramming for it i i was literally listening to youtube videos while i was driving there uh to the test it costs 150 bucks to register to take the test um and it was harder than i expected i passed but barely um and i probably shouldn't have um as as i learned too late um it's a lot more complicated than i had expected the thing is you need to know how to read those aeronautical charts that you know a a pilot would learn how to use so that you know what class of airspace this is is this class c airspace Uh, you know how far are we from the airport all those kind of things Um, you're going to need to learn how to do that or if there's an advisory in a certain area like if there's a wildfire and they're flying helicopters as soon as they see a drone they land the helicopter the firefighters helicopters and they can't fight the fire anymore so you need to know how to check for that kind of thing to make sure um, you're not going to get in trouble and you're not going to cause any harm Um, so there are a lot of classes online that you can pay for this Um, there's also a lot of great youtube uh, content uh, I don't know. I, I think for most people, if you do okay on tests generally, just watch a bunch of YouTube videos and go through it and you'll be all right. Okay, so that's that's the first thing. Uh, so if you're going to use it commercially, that's what you need. Go do the part 107 test. You don't need to worry about the... Uh, uh, the 333 exemption anymore it still exists but it's basically gone uh, it's the part 107 exam that you need to do uh, but that's just for commercial anybody can just buy it and fly it personally now if you're going to fly it personally you don't have any commercial aspirations for this these are a couple things that you should recognize just don't go anywhere near the airport not even close stay three miles away from an airport um, just to uh, to be on the safe side don't fly near, um, don't ever fly over people. That's a big one. It's really dangerous. If you've flown these drones, you have crashed a drone. 
everybody who owns one has crashed it. Uh, either you have crashed or you will. And you know, when you're over a person and you have floor four rotors spinning at 2000 RPM, uh, you don't want it to hit somebody's head. So, uh, you know, be respectful of, uh, of, uh, of the safety of others and don't fly over uh, other people. Um, and then stay under 500 feet and you, you can't fly over clouds. You know, you can't go, uh, you know, get in the mountains and then you fly through the clouds or anything. You can't fly any, uh, over clouds. Uh, you just, those are the basic rules. As long as you follow that, you really should be fine. So did I convince you? Uh, it's not so scary anymore to fl- to fly drones in the U.S. anymore. Uh, is this is this putting you guys one step closer to the buy button here? I mean, it does sound easier than what it <laughs> used to be. Now that it's it's not a bunch of red tape and only a little bit of red tape to get through, <laughs> it, it is a bit more incentivizing for me at the same time i'm mostly a portrait photographer i can't really see too many reasons you can take some really nice nice scalp perspectives with this (laughs) i mean nick has actually done some really cool portrait work with his drone i still don't know if i could justify it though it's it's a really big toy to me and if i had enough money that i could just throw it away towards toys then absolutely but for my workflow i, I think it's going to be at least another year before i get a get a drone for myself very cool yeah not on the horizon for me anytime soon <laughs> all right jeff you want to talk a little bit about doing some cleanup of your lightroom backups what is this i didn't realize i need to do any maintenance on my lightroom yeah, absolutely. So um, just uh, periodically on the show, I, I like to recommend some hygiene to help keep things clean on your computer to keep things working, especially because um, a lot of us probably have our catalogs on SSD drives and they're very small. So this is something that can help you get a little bit of space back if you haven't done it for a while. Let's just go delete your backups of Lightroom. So hopefully you have it configured in Lightroom to ask you to back up every time you exit Lightroom. You don't have to do that every time, but at least I'd set it so it asks me every time. And if I'm kind of in a hurry, need to do something else, maybe I don't do it that time. But uh, at least once a week or so, you'll want to do that, have it create a backup. What it does is it creates a copy of the database that makes up your catalog and uh, and some of the smart previews and and some of the other uh, preview stuff that you've built. And so since I, I do it frequently, I just went and looked today. Uh, I had 15 backups that were out there and I only need the last one <laughs> or the last two. Um, Julianne Cost, so she's a, the principal digital imaging evangelist at Adobe. It's a good title. And, uh, and she recommends five. She recommends you keep five of them. I have never needed that many. I have restored once, um, but it was because I did something I shouldn't and <laughs> went into the database and, and I screwed it up. But um, all right, so I've restored once from the from that backup, but uh, go go and deleting them. So the way that you find these is to to go into uh, on Mac you do Lightroom catalog settings on Windows it's Edit catalog settings, then you go to the General tab, click the Show button in the right hand side right of location, and this will bring up either Finder on Mac or or Windows Explorer on PC, and then uh, you double click into the Lightroom folder and you double click into the backups folder and there'll be a bunch of folders there that are backups of your Lightroom catalog. It's not your photos. That's a big distinction that you need to make sure is clear. This has nothing to do with your photos being backed up. It's only the Lightroom catalog and maybe some of the uh, previews that they've generated. So I, I selected the 15 of them there. 
they were taking up 15 gig of storage on my SSD. So that was you know, like 20% of my SSD drive. So I nuked them today and I thought I'd just remind people that they need to do that and take care of those. Yeah, you're doing better than me. I looked and I have 23 backups <laughs> in there and my, each backup is over four gigabytes. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're, you're I had wasting a, lot in a there. ton of disk storing those old backups. Yeah, and for me, I like to keep more than one. Um, the reason is that it's so, so easy in Lightroom to affect a lot of photos at once just by making one wrong, cl one wrong click. Sure. You know, you select the first photo in your catalog, and then you scroll over to the end, and then you select the other one while holding shift. You've now selected every photo you've ever taken and so if you bump a slider or something you've now messed up every photo you've ever taken um in lightroom and so i like to have several backups uh in case i've done something like that you know then i you know take a week off go do a couple things whatever don't check my photos from a while ago and then you realize oh no i totally messed up my edits for years um so it's pretty easy to do something like that in lightroom and so i like to keep quite a few backups um you know more than just from one month you know maybe keep two from this month and then one keep one that's like three months old uh you know just to make sure that nothing crazy is going on or check your lightroom make sure things are looking normal before you do that uh, so you don't uh, make a big mistake but you I don't need 23 of them no probably don't need 23 <laughs> that's, that's a lot of protection right there <laughs> I tend to be really bad about backing up half the time when it gives me the option to back up. It's because I'm shutting my computer down <laughs> and you're in a hurry. No, I want to shut it down now. And yeah, then inevitably I go, I realize, oh, I've gone like a month and a half and I haven't backed up. Once. There's another reason to do it too, because it will optimize your catalog at the same time. And that helps to these, the database that it's storing stuff in, it can get, some, I'll just call it some build up, some junk can get built up over Gingivitis. there. Gingivitis. <laughs> and Lightroom so, gingivitis so, will build over time. Is that what's happening? <laughs> so gingivitis, yeah. So uh, so it's, when it backs up, it also, uh, I think the checkbox is there by default to optimize the catalog. And that can really help too. If you haven't done that for a really long time, you actually, I think, will notice a big difference. So when is it clearing the, ca the, the cached images of my photos? Is it on a certain schedule, like every 30 days? Or does, is that one of these things that happens they um, do it when I'm shutting down Lightroom? They do it based on the size of the preview cache. So you have a certain oh, size. Oh, just as I hit it. That's right. I forget that because yeah. there's so that then setting. If it gets over that size, size, it will delete the oldest of those previews, assuming you're not going to go back to them. Ah, okay. Very cool. Well, in every episode of the improved, in all two, in all, well, how many episodes are we at? 204 in all 204 episodes of the improved photography podcast uh we have given you the doodads of the week and today is no different uh today i'm going to recommend a really cool app that is free de grasa um it is called PhotoScan. um this is an app by google it is available for ios and android um, this is a very cool app. What it allows you to do is scan in your old printed photos uh, in really high quality. 
um, and without glare. So it used to be, you know, you everybody's got that shoebox of old photos in the garage. Uh, my wife is is cleaning out the garage and redesigning it up for me for Christmas to uh, get rid of all my junk. Um, and so we got a box of old photos in there, and I wanted to scan them all in. So I thought, oh man, I got to get one of those old flatbed scanners and put each one in and you know as it scans through each one takes like 30 seconds each picture and ancient software and then i heard about this and it's so cool so what it is is you use your cell phone's camera to scan in the photos so i set the photo on a flat surface i take a picture of the of the photo with my cell phone and then it will put uh four little dots over the over the the image and i move my phone to those four different areas and then it's going to give me higher megapixels by uh, moving that phone around and capturing different areas and completely cut out the glare that would normally be on a photo when doing this so it's really cool it's free uh and it's important you know to to have a digital record of all your your family's history you know baby photos all that kind of stuff uh it's now pretty simple to do so definitely something i'd recommend i want to add on to your doodad please i want to recommend the uh, microsoft office lens app Different lines, not for photos, really. They have a photo thing, but it's not really great for that. What it's good for is whiteboards. If you ever want to capture whiteboards or documents, scan in documents. It does a really, really good job with those two things. So. Very cool. So so the four little dots that you're saying it tells you to move to, is it doing some sort of calculation about where the light is reflecting off of that it's telling you to move different areas on the photo to be able to do a composite of those four photos or whatever it is? Uh, no, I don't know. It's just putting them, you know, equally interspersed. Just, you know, look kind of looks oh, like a checkerboard. Four corners. Yeah, four corners. Okay. Four you areas. take one of the full and then you go to the four corners so that it, it, the full helps it um, kind of stitch together the four corners. I see. And that's there's another cool. app that's similar. I don't think quite as good, but it's there. And that's called Photo Mine. Of course, they had to do it all Web 2.0-y. It's Photo M-Y-N-E. <laughs> Web 2.0, doesn't that just sound ancient now? Uh, it's <laughs> Photo Mine, M-Y-N-E, uh, that does something similar. I heard about these from uh, 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 Leo, Leo Laporte. It was on the Leo Laporte podcast that he mentioned both these. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I need. So I thought I'd share with that with you today. All right, Jeff, how what come, you got? How come improved photography doesn't start with a Y? <laughs> See, that would be all web 2.0. It just make everybody feel better about this. All right, what do you have for us, Jeff? All right, so I'm going to recommend a site. It used to be called Latergram, and it was really kind of specific to Instagram, but they have updated their app so that they can now post to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. And so it's later, sorry, later.com. Which must mean they got venture capital to be able yeah, to buy later.com. They got, it, they got the I'll name. I'll bet you anything that costs like 500,000 bucks to buy later.com. <laughs> right. Or more. In fact, I think later Graham, it was like the MM and then, or the, it was ME after the dot. So it was later Graham ME after the dot. Nice. So they, they had to really search for a domain name before, but anyway, I'm, I'm liking it for a couple of reasons. The first one is, since I do most of my editing on a Windows PC, the challenge is how am I going to get my photo that I just got done editing and I want to share, especially on Instagram, to my phone, which is an iPhone. 
And, uh, you know, I can use my Mac, I can copy it there and then do AirDrop. But this, this makes it really easy to be able to do. I go to later.com, I upload the file, and then you can, through, like through the website, you can do that. Then you kind of drag it over into the calendar about when you want to do it. So it has scheduling features too. So I really like that to be able to schedule my post and it will help me. Like if I want to have one every day this week, when I finish an edit session, I can just go schedule them in later.com to do one of these photos every single day of the week in Instagram. And then um, you can use your keyboard, of course, to type the message that you want to go with it in Instagram, which I'm doing a lot more of. I was barely doing anything at all. And I'm, I've done a lot more of that. And I'm getting more engagement because there's more text there going along with the photo, especially I share my settings a lot. And a lot of people are liking that, that I shared the settings of what I use to take the shot. So, um, so I, I schedule them all, do the text, and then the last step is later the later app on your phone, Android and iOS, and then it will come up and notify you whenever you set the thing to be scheduled for post. It will say, are you ready to do this? You say yes, and then it copies the photo over into Instagram and puts does like a copy into your paste for uh, the phone so you can just go next in Instagram and hit paste and paste in your text for the post. So it makes it pretty easy. I wish Instagram would just let us post from the computer. That would solve all of this, <laughs> but they won't. Um, there is that Lightroom plugin for Instagram that I have tried. It works, but you're, it's not flexible enough for uh, how you want to write the text for me anyway. You have, it's really constrained kind of what you put into your caption field or, or I can't remember. There's a field in Lightroom that it pulls stuff from that you'd have to go put in in order to use the Lightroom plugin. So I haven't really liked that to do it as much. I really like the scheduling features. So later.com, I, I really like how it works. Yeah, I, I've never actually used it from the computer and I'm pretty interested to start doing that now, but I use the later app on my phone and I definitely love the scheduling feature. I'm pretty terrible about posting anything onto social media, but whenever I have a set of things that I wanna share and feel the motivation to go through and type out maybe 15 posts of a series of photos that I wanna do, I'll just go in and schedule everything for you know one a day or one every couple of days and it's nice because you can set it for whatever time you want and you'll get a little notification, just like a text message on your phone that says, Hey, it's time to post and just open it up and I can post everything because I have it all the, all the way done written out and everything. And you know, just maybe takes me 30 seconds to go through post the thing. I can be doing something else and just get it posted on there. And Hey, now I'm doing social media stuff, which I'm supposed to be doing, I suppose. Well, I found that helpful too. I, I had it in, so I have Lightroom up and then I have my browser and I can easily go see what the settings were when I want to share the settings on the photo. Whereas when you're on your phone, <laughs> that's hard to do um, for a scheduled post. Anyway, I, I found, I was like, oh, I can't remember what the settings are and, Anyway, I, I really like how it works. So it's helping me post my game day photos that have to go on the day of the games for the Harriman High School basketball team here. Uh, it's, it's helping me remember to post them. Very cool. Connor, what do you got? I have the, is it C-Ray? Yeah, C-Ray. Yep. C-Ray, S-I-R-U-I, K-40X Ballhead. Um, I recently, well, because of my Hawaii trip, I brought my tripod into the ocean a lot. And I didn't do a very good job of cleaning it out. And the ballhead started to slip and not hold very well anymore. And I just couldn't seem to get it cleaned up well enough 
that I could continue using it. So I decided it was worth investing in a decent ball head for once. So I bought this actually based off of the improved photography website's recommendation. Boom. Good choice. Mid range, <laughs> um, ball head to buy. So I think it was about $150 um, on improved photography. They talked about the baby brother to this one and then just kind of mentioned, oh, and if you have a big rig, it might be worth spending the extra 10 or 15 bucks that it is to get this, the K40X ball head. And man, this thing is probably like three times the size of my old ball head. And it is so sturdy. Um, one thing that I really like about it that I haven't had on any kind of ball head before was that I can lock the handle down in a certain position. So I can actually get the ball head tightened up just enough where if I need to manually move it, I can still shift it around, but it will hold in place as it is. And that's something that I really have started to love is that I can make adjustments as I need to, or I can just lock it down and there's no bumping it to loosen up the ball head and make it less sturdy. So that is my recommendation for this week, my doodad. Very cool. And also, I see you have a do random in here that appears to be a lighter. Why? Why would we need this? <laughs> it It is made by Zippo, and it kind of looks like a lighter, but it's not a lighter. Um, it's a Zippo hand warmer. Um, so this thing, you you actually light it. You fill it up with lighter fluid fuel, and it just burns the, uh, the have a six hour version and a 12 hour version. And at least here in Colorado, it's been in the single digits down to about zero for the last week. So just getting in my car has been painfully cold. I mean, I'm sure some of the people up further north, maybe even up by you, Jim, would say, you know, this isn't so cold, but to me, it's frigid. They it's call you a wimp, huh, Connor? Yeah, man. <laughs> So is it, is it creating an, like it's an actual flame inside and then you hold on the outside of this metal box. Is that what's happening? It's weird. It's, it's not really like a flame. It's, it's something like something is burning in there, but it's a certain element that just, it gets warm. So it stays warm for about six hours. Like you just fill it up with fuel. If you fill it up all the way for the six hour version, which is the one that I have, it'll just burn through for six hours and you can just kind of adjust how much fuel you put in there for how long you want it to burn. Um, but yeah, it, it's weird. Like I, I am not at all terrified of putting it in my pocket. It comes in a little, um, cloth pouch even that you can keep it in because the metal itself gets a little bit hot. So having it in this cloth pouch is nice, but it's way warmer than any of the chemical packs that I found or the little sandbags that you shake and kind of give you heat for about 30 minutes and it burns for a good while. So especially if you're going to be outside shooting at all this winter, this is a really awesome thing. And I think they're like $12. They're really not that expensive. And so it's kind of photography related, kind of just if you have a sucky heater in your car, <laughs> um, it, it can do a really good job at keeping you warm on your drive somewhere. Very cool. That is cool. I like it. Well, thank you guys for coming on to the show this week. And listeners, we will see you in another seven days.